she's like, but I love him, Ariel style, you know? Sure. Welcome back to the Atchison Public Librarians podcast. I am Patrick Glancy, the children's librarian. With me is my co-host, Kaya Boyd, the teen librarian. And we are here for another episode of Oceans of Possibilities to get you excited about our summer reading program and also to tell you some cool stories. And today I have picked two awesome stories. Sorry, uh, couldn't narrow it down. They are from her stories, African-American folk tales, fairy tales, and true tales. And um, it's actually a collection of a bunch of verbal tales. A lot of them were recorded first and then brought together in this anthology. It has really cool pictures as well, but most of them are only a couple pages long. These are some slightly intense versions of some storylines that you're probably going to recognize, at least for this first one. And then the second one is something that apparently is true and happened in real life, which is kind of awesome. Mm. It even has a specific date. The first story is Marie and the Redfish. And Marie was pretty young, but she was being courted by a prince, but her dad was like, you're too young to be dating as you do. As, as, dad. as dads do. As dads do. The dad remembers that there is a wizard. Uh, living in the woods and he goes to the wizard and he's like hey make this prince go away and stop there's always a wizard there's always a wizard but she was in love so she goes to hang out with him by the river and the wizard pops out of nowhere and points his little stick at the man and turns the prince into a giant red fish it's massive and he jumps up and into the river and disappears and the dad's like great He's gone. He's a fish. She'll forget about him. But of course she doesn't. That would be dumb. But they stopped watching her closely because they thought their problems were over. Sure. But each day she would go to the river and sing a song. Kaliwa, Kaliko, Wako, Mother Says Yes. Wako, Father Says No. Kaliwa, Wa, Kaliwako. Now, I have to say I'm disappointed you didn't actually sing that. Well, I don't know <laughs> the notes. Um, it's also originally in French because this is a French Creole tale. So she sings to the river and it splits open, uh, Moses style, and the mm. beautiful red fish wearing a golden crown that he somehow found in the river. All sorts of trash ends up in the river. Yeah, so he pulls this crown out and he comes up to Marie and gives her fruits and sweets and he, she like sits by the river and eats and hangs out with him. Does she realize he's the prince or... Yeah, I mean, she okay. does. She's going there to hang out with him and he brings her presents okay. every day. And all right. Because obviously they're still in love. He's just a giant red fish with a golden crown on his head. That is problematic, but carry yeah. on. It kind of stops the traditional tryst, but one day her father follows her and watches her sing the song, but he brought his gun along and he shoots the fish twice <sighs> and took him home for supper. At least he didn't bring dynamite. He tells his daughter to cook the fish for him. Oh, brutal. For his supper. It's messed up. He's like, I'm sure it'll make a tasty dinner for us. And she's like crying, preparing Cold-blooded. her prince slash fish for dinner. And when she went to scale him, he sings, sadly, cut me oh if you must, wah-wah, scrape me oh if you have to, wah-wah, mix the crumbs, salt them, wah-wah. He's still alive while they're cleaning him? I don't, I don't think he's like... Alive, alive? 
maybe he's a zombie fish. I don't know. But she cooks him, and when she's done, she serves it to her father. She sits down, and she was crying her heart out for her dear Prince Redfish. But her father eats and eats. It's so tasty. He eats so much that his belly bursts open. And it does not say whether he survives this or not. I am... Totally. He I'm totally thinking of uh, Monty Python and the meaning of life when, like, the Terry Jones character <laughs> keeps eating at the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, and he's just sitting there. <laughs> he's got his, <laughs> his his ribs are sticking out, and you see his heart beating, but he's still fine from the neck. <laughs> so his belly bursts open. All these little fishes fall out, and they slide over. All the way out to the river. Go back into the river. After dinner, she leaves the house. It really doesn't say whether her dad survives it or not. And it's kind of terrifying. But I'm going to, to choose bank. to believe he did survive. <laughs> he went, She went to the riverbank, uh, of course. It says, she went to the riverbank, of course, to sit a while. <laughs> okay, of course, of she, course she did. Of course she goes to the How river dare bank. you question that? Um, where the scales that she scraped from her loving prince were scattered about after the cleaning. Mm-hmm. And she weeps so hard that her tears make the earth open up before her and she falls into the hole. And she falls down, down, down until she meets her redfish. And right before her eyes, he changes into a prince again, wearing the golden crown. And when her mother comes looking for her, they only find a lock of her hair on the side of the river. The tale originally is Le Poisson d'Or, or the Golden Fish, and it's told by the French Creole community in Louisiana, which is why you kind of recognize some of those noises, like the, the phrases that they say, mm-hmm. and the, the um, songs, they're, they're used by Creole singers today. And it, it is kind of brutal. <laughs> the family dynamics at play as well. I mean, and just the mother's only mentioned once. Yeah, her child's hair. Yeah, it's like you almost wonder, like, was she off visiting her mom, like, in a different land, and she like came back, and like her husband's sitting on the throne, and he's just a pair of ribs with a head. <laughs> he's like, honey, you won't believe what happened while you were gone. There are actually two stories about a merwoman or a mermaid in this book. Um, for a long time, they thought that mermaids were pretty rare in the retellings of these types of stories in African-American uh, folk tales, but they've since found a lot more examples of that. I'm only going to give you one of them, though. This one is the merwoman out of the sea, and it came with a specific date, July 3rd, 1867, because the man who originally collected this story, the oral story, had it um, confirmed by a woman who apparently lived in the town and and lived through it. So she told him this whole story and everything that happened. Wait, before we before we go any further, are are you saying mermaids are real? Yeah. Is that where we're going with this? So while this may be an interpretation of the real events that happened, there was probably a huge flood and some people who started to blame it on a mermaid so that Mm. makes me happy interesting um but apparently this town it was right along the ocean so it would have been easily floodable they lived a really good life they had a successful community good crops food from the sea she even says we sleep deep and long in the nighttime as calm as babies but then 
all of a sudden one day these huge black clouds roll in this massive storm breaks out there's lightning there's thunder and rain just coming down like you're walking through a swimming pool and even though the thunder and the lightning die down the rain doesn't stop we're talking full noah's ark level just rain more rain more rain more rain that's a lot of rain fell steady and it became a flood it flooded the whole town they were like sitting in chairs up to their knees in water and of course since they're so close to the ocean it didn't smell great it turned into (laughs) a marshland the the roads became mud the imagery in this story is really great because she says what had been hard ground under us became soft and squishy like flesh wet and fallen off the bone some of us folks went crazy her her descriptions are great (laughs) but the rain came down for over a month and they all became kind of jittery and crazy a little bit i I I feel like that's understandable it's it's a legitimate response to literally everything we own and have is now underwater some people start getting a little nuts and this lady's like running around saying there's a mermaid there's a merwoman among us we have to put her back out to sea and they all believed it and they all believed that the mermaid was causing their misfortune and they all thought they knew who captured that mermaid. There was a doctor or a druggist. She calls him an apothecary as well. But he's just referred to as doctor through the story. And everybody knows that he's a doctor to the dead things. They all think that he has different creatures and dead stuff suspended in jars in the basement and stuff like that. They, they're they all equal parts afraid of him and in awe of him, right? That makes they, sense. They knew that it was him that had captured this mermaid and was keeping her hostage. They even, Asa apparently was his helper, and he came out and everybody was like, "What does he have in there?" And he's like, "Yeah, he's got a mermaid in a bell jar. She's oh, small Asa. and beautiful, <laughs> throwing a wrench and things." But he tells everybody, "Yeah, she's got hair that's floating about. He even has goldfish swimming around in the bell jar. She's shrunken down to this tiny little size and." She's hitting the sides of the jar. She wants to get out. The really great thing in the story, though, is that they want her to get out. Like, the, the townspeople don't want her to suffer and die. They ask about her well-being several times. So they're all despairing over the state that this mermaid's being kept in. And finally, they just completely go crazy. The, the, the rain just keeps going. It's coming in the fireplaces cockroaches start coming out of the walls of the houses because everything's wet and they're crawling up their backs and it's kind of a fear factor situation finally everybody got really angry and they become a great mob and walk up to the doctor's door and they pick up mud and start throwing it at his house telling him to bring out the mermaid that he needs to bring it out so they can take it back to the ocean and let her go And the doctor comes out, there's no such thing, I don't have it, there's no mermaids, I don't have anything down here. And of course nobody believes him. Of course. Duh. She doesn't say his name, but a small, brave man uh, swims down underwater and breaks the window into the basement and gets in there. And he's gone for a while, but she says putrid, slithering, crawling things start coming out of the house. Like he had been keeping a bunch of stuff in there and, and the slime was started to coat the waters that are around their ankles and stuff. Nice. But then the, the man comes back out and he says, I'm, I've seen her. You know, she's got her she's got her hands on the rim of the jar and she's crying to be let go. 
And so they all start going nuts. And a <laughs> couple men from the town break into the house proper and search the entire house, top to bottom. But they can't find the jar that has the mermaid in it. A guy gets up and says, if you don't leave, we'll call the army, dispel the mob, etc., etc. So they all leave, and the merwoman's never found. They never find her. But the rain stops shortly after that. And she talks about how she probably shrunk down and either got out in the big escape of all the creatures or he realized what he was doing and let her out the back door and she went back to the ocean and, you know, dispelled the rain clouds. So the rain ends, the water recedes, and all that they're left with is like a stinking putrid fish smell and they clean everything and the town... Kind of recovers, but she says that you can still smell the the smell when it's really hot and humid. The doctor left town, and nobody really knows what became of him. He either went up north and opened up shop or died somewhere. Well, I assume he died somewhere. Yeah, the closing (laughs) lines, though, the closing lines that she says is, Maybe he's dead, but no one here can say. Still, we all know that men live, and then they die all the time, and maybe merwomen, mermaids do as well. So that's the end of the story of how their town became completely flooded because of a mermaid. Did it say which town this is? No, it does not. The man who collected the story, John Bennett, he apparently got the information from a woman named Araminta, which is an amazing name, by the way. (laughs) And she confirmed that it rained for over a month. The, The type of story this is, you know, of the mermaids, it's a good way to make that type of destruction into a, a more entertaining but also more easy to digest folktale because otherwise they just got destroyed by a, a, a storm you know i really really love these types of retellings because it carries on a oral tradition so you can kind of hear the person talking when you read them mm-hmm. which is my favorite type of story brood i always picture like an old lady <laughs> on a porch you know like the russian ones coming from some babushka of course, yeah. Head covering, telling us about Baba Yaga and stuff. <laughs> but these are much more serious tales of the ocean and the waters. Yeah, I, I wish I could say that my story is more uplifting. It, while it's not maybe as dark as uh, some of your story or a lot of your stories. <laughs> I don't know that it's a cheery story. Wait, one more thing. I also like these stories because they're not placed hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, they, they have guns. Yeah. So well, how else are you going to fish? This one was 1860. Yeah, how else are you going <laughs> to fish for a giant man that you turned into a fish? But the, the second story is placed in 1867. It's entertaining to hear stories that are placed in a different time instead of so long ago that well of course yeah instead of like like a back then it's had hundreds of years of filter yeah instead of like a generic pseudo medieval setting yeah like oh i picture every tale european tale they have like the specific type of dress and then the guys are wearing you know armor or those little vests right always picture the same thing the wizard's very Mm merlin-esque that's yeah on that note, my story is set in a vague medieval type set. <laughs> Although it is technically a story of the New World because it's a Brazilian folktale. 
Yes. It is called Why the Sea Moans. Our story begins with a princess. Her name is Dionysia. Another good name. Yeah. Not to be uh, associated in any way with Dionysus. There's no Greek gods or anything, but it is a very similar name. Dionysia, uh, she's a little princess. She has no friends. She spends all her time stuck in the castle. Occasionally, you know, she's able to go through the city and see other kids playing, but she has no friends to play with because she's a princess. There's no other royalty around. She can't, you know, play with commoners. She spends most of her time in this luxurious royal garden that her dad built for her. It's great, but her favorite spot is the little corner that goes up against the sea. Now, you criticized me last week for not having enough oceans in my story. So there's oceans in this story. Let it be said. So she spends her time walking along the beach thinking, you know, all those kids in town, they have other kids to play with. I'm a princess. It's only right that I should have another living being to play with and spend time with. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not it's not an unreasonable complaint. Dad, the king, and everyone else in the royal family, not too sympathetic. But the sea, she listens to it one day, and it sounds like it's saying her name over and over. And then... Well, now it's creepy. <laughs> then all of a sudden, out of this big wave comes in, and out of the wave comes a giant sea serpent. Now, the princess knows what a sea serpent is because of her royal storybooks, of course. Yeah, so books, to read. books matter because she's not taken aback. Yeah, she's, she's on top of it. And on top of this, unlike the sea serpents in the story she's read about, this one doesn't look too bad. It seems pretty nice. And then it starts to talk to her. The sea serpent says, now I'm probably going to butcher this name. But we're going to go with my pronunciation. The sea servant comes out and she says, My name is Labismina. Yeah. Yeah. And guess what? I've come here to play with you. Let's be pals. And for years, they play together down by the beach in her little garden. Whenever anyone else comes along, the sea serpent slithers away back into the ocean. And no one ever sees her. Except the princess. This goes on for several years. The princess gets older. She's in her mid-teens, probably, maybe even late teens. The sea serpent comes out there walking slash slithering along the beach, I assume. Labismina says, I'm getting older too. And we're getting to the point where I can't come and play with you anymore. I have to. This is the last time you'll see me to play with me. But if you're ever in trouble, just come down here to the edge of the sea Say my name, and I will come and assist you. Meanwhile, in the next kingdom over, the king's wife is dying. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) But as she lays on her deathbed, she tells her husband, if you ever decide to remarry, I want it to be the person whose finger fits this ring, and she gives him a ring. Seems like a dumb request, but that's how, I guess, spouses were chosen. He embarks on this whole Cinderella tour around the neighboring kingdoms to find the right finger, 
and doesn't have much luck until he comes to this princess and she desperately doesn't want the ring to fit. She has no interest in this marriage. Of so course. A lot of salt exploded <laughs> right before. It would have been a good strategy probably, but no, the ring fits perfectly. <laughs> and this king, he doesn't actually seem like a terrible guy. I mean, I don't know that I agree with his method of choosing a spouse, but he's also, he's pretty old by this point. Kind of grotesque and ugly. She has no interest. She wants... Rude. Yeah, she wants her Prince Charming. A little bit ageist. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like, in reading the story, I don't know that the princess comes off as well as they imagine her to come off. And and maybe it's a difference of times. Goodness, too. Right. Her father, this king, still demands respect. And what he says goes. And when she complains to him, he's basically like, grow up. You're getting married. This is how the world works. You don't get your Prince Charming. She becomes very distraught. He's worried that she's going to gain a bunch of weight so the ring won't fit anymore. So he like wants to speed track this wedding. In a huff, she runs down to the sea, calls out for the sea serpent. The serpent rises out, hears her out, says, There's no reason to fear. Here's what you do. You go back to this king and you say, I'm not going to marry you until you find me a dress that is the color of the fields and flowers. Which I feel like that covers a lot of ground, but... Probably wouldn't be too difficult to do. Yeah, and the king is more than happy to meet this demand. I mean, it's maybe not the easiest... I'll buy you a dress. Yeah, you can't just go down to the dress store at this point in history, I assume. But, you know, it's worth the effort. Like he put my ten best seamstresses on it. Yeah. And he comes back. He has the dress. And it's exactly what she asked for. And she's like, oh, no, I can't believe he did it. She runs back down to the sea. Calls for the sea serpent again. Sea serpent comes back. It's like, chill. It's going to be okay. Yo. <laughs> chill. Ask him for another dress. This one should have all the colors of the sea and fishes on it. She goes back, makes the demand. The king, he's discouraged. He's like, this is starting to uh, snowball on me a little bit. He comes through again, though, brings her this dress. Again, she's distressed, dismayed. She runs back down to the sea, calls out for Labus Mina. The sea servant comes back, and she's like, relax. It's going to be all right. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to ask him for another dress. This one should be the color of the sky and all the stars. This is getting very greedy and rude. Yeah, you get that feeling. <laughs> but the sea serpent's like, but here's the deal. Tell him this is the last request you will make of him. You're not going to ask for any more dresses, anything like that. She goes back. Tells the king this. He is not too happy about it. He's like, this is becoming a lot more trouble than it's worth. But, you know, I do want her as my bride. So... For some reason. Yeah. He says, okay, this this is becoming a pain, but it's the last thing she's going to ask me for. It's probably a good investment. We'll just I'll get this taken care of. Then we'll be married. And that'll be that. He pays a lot of money, has this dress made and delivered. 
Of course, the princess is once again shattered by this. She runs back down to the beach, calls out for the sea serpent. He's like, he delivered the third dress. What am I going to do now? And the sea serpent is like, I got you. Here's what you're going to do. Go get the three dresses. Come back down here. I got something special for you. She runs, packs up the dresses, comes back down to the beach. There's this weird looking little boat that the sea serpent has built for her. This boat is going to carry her away across the sea to a distant kingdom where there's this amazing prince who lives there. You're going to see him. You're going to want to marry him. This is your chance to get away. The princess is overjoyed. She says, how can I thank you, Labismina? Labismina says, well, you probably haven't guessed this, probably because you're so self-centered. <laughs> she doesn't say that part right. of it. She's like, guess what? I'm a princess too. I've been under an enchantment and I have to stay a sea serpent until the happiest maiden in the world calls out my name three times at the moment of her greatest happiness. Now, when you get married to this prince, that's going to be that moment. So all you have to do is remember at the hour of your wedding to call out my name three times and I will be changed back into a princess and we'll be square. The princess says, I can do that. Thank you so much. Gives her a hug probably. The princess sets sail, lands in a foreign kingdom, and she basically has to start from scratch. She doesn't know anyone there. She's not really royalty there. She's just someone who washed up on the beach. So she starts going around looking for food and work, and she eventually gets hired at the palace, of course, where the, the handsome prince lives. She's put in charge of minding the hens in the royal palace, and she does that for a while and keeps to herself. And then one day, a big feast is announced. It's a three-day rager. Yeah. On day one, everyone goes to the festival, except the, the girl who minds the hens. She hangs back. But once everyone's gone, she's like, maybe I should go to the fiesta. And she puts on her dress that is the color of the field and the flowers. And she goes... And she has a great time. She dances with everybody and then sneaks back before the fiesta ends. Day two, same thing, except this time she wears the dress with the sea and the fishes. Now, on day two, the prince notices her and he's quite taken with her. And he's like, who is that? And he's talking to his mom, the queen, and says, "Is does she kind of remind you of a girl that uh, watches over our hens? At least he recognized her slightly. Yeah. You know, most of these stories are like, and then he had to use a shoe to recognize the lady who was wearing a fancy dress. Well, let's not pat him on the back too fast. <laughs> well, I'm sure he's going to screw up in a different way, but... Mm. He sort of recognizes her. I'll give him that. Yeah. The queen, on the other hand, is like, are you kidding me? Look at that beautiful lady over there. That's not the the girl who minds the hens. But the prince isn't quite convinced. He goes to the other servants and he's like, um, did, the, uh, did the girl who mined the hens, does, does, did she go to the uh, festival yesterday? And they're all like, no, every day she's been here when we left and still here when we get back. Because remember, she's sneaking back and forth. Well, yeah. And he's like, oh, bummer. All right, then. So the third day, 
She does the same thing, wearing the dress the color of the sky and the stars. He asks her to dance on day three. You know, they kind of hit it off, but no matter what, she won't tell him who she is. Which I'm not really sure why. I don't know if she's afraid. Like if she, if he actually found out she was yeah. a girl who minded the hen, she he wouldn't be interested. She could have just told him, "I'm a princess who's going to be married off to an old dude," so I ran away. Yeah, it does feel like one of those instances definitely where honesty could be the best policy. I'm pretty sure that's most instances. True, but definitely in this one, especially since we know like. She wants to marry this prince. I don't get where being coy really helps her. Eh. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Right. So she won't confess to uh, who she, who she is, but he still gives her this magnificent jewel anyway. And then she kind of sneaks off, goes back to her chickens. Festival ends. Prince goes back to his palace and goes into a deep depression and he he won't eat anything he's like wasting away he just wants this girl from the fiesta and people the chefs everyone tries to make him food he won't eat it and the girl who minds the hens is like do you care if i give it a try and she makes broth which god broth is so disgusting like, just the word broth makes me broth. gag a little bit. Would you like a bowl of broth to drink? <laughs> but that's what she makes. But she takes the jewel he gave her, and she puts it in the bowl at the bottom of the bowl. And it's pushed in front of the prince, and he looks at it, and he's about to send it away because he can't bear to eat, and then he sees the sparkling jewel in the soup, or not even real soup, Good broth. he didn't just, like, guzzle it down. <laughs> He sees the jewel. He's like, oh my gosh, who made this? And they're like, it's the girl who minds the chickens. And he says, bring her to me immediately. And all the truth is revealed. And they fall in love instantly. And he's like, next day, we're getting hitched. (laughs) So they get married. But here's the thing. She's so happy happiest anyone's ever been apparently but all she can think about is her lovely prince and she forgets to say Lavismina's name and so Lavismina gets gets the total shaft in this story as she is stuck being a sea serpent forever she never gets her chance to be a princess again never gets her prince charming She's left. Yeah, right. All, all the sea serpent did was give companionship and help her out of in her time of need, and she forgets about her, which, like I said, comes off as totally selfish in this story. Yeah. And that's why. You didn't actually have to do anything. You just say free words. Right. Isn't it's not like you had to like. Oh God! I have to drive across town and then get it notarized, and then like turn it into the correct people, make sure I filled out the forms correctly. You know, it's not a lot to ask. Yeah, and so Labus Mina is stuck in the sea as a sea servant forever, which is why, according to this story, if you listen closely as the waves come in, you can hear her saying Dionysa's name. 
I've never heard that. I've been to the ocean several times. I've never heard that. Next time I go, I will make sure that I uh, listen closely to see if I can pick it up. I'm not too optimistic, though. Yeah. Well, that story was much more of a traditional type, but with its own twist where she's just an utter jerk. She's yeah. the only companion she had as a child. Three interesting tales, nonetheless. Next week, we're going to come back to you with even more ocean tales. This one, if you want to claim your Beanstack badge for listening to a podcast, just put in the code word SERPENT. and That's like the coolest code word ever. (laughs) You will get that extra (laughs) entry into the grand prize drawing for your age group. Make sure you're logging your reading complete every week, and you'll be eligible for the grand prize. Check the calendar for all the cool events we have going on. And we'll talk to you next week. All right. I'll be interesting.